believers, we are called to be found in a different condition. We are called to be found at peace with God. We're called to be found in a relationship where we have peace with Him through Jesus Christ. And then, through our lives, we continue to do what He has called us to do so that we're not living in animosity towards Him. Are you looking for meaning or a word from God that's relevant to your life? Are you searching for a better understanding of who God is? Well, you're in the right place. You found the Gary Talks About God podcast. This is a weekly podcast that comes to you from the pulpit of Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. The podcast is hosted by Red Bank Senior Pastor Gary Sanders. Now let's get ready to take that walk through God's Word with our pastor, teacher, and friend. Hey, he's that guy we call Gary. Second Peter chapter 3. We're getting close to the end. Uh, we'll be in Second Peter uh, this week, next week, and then finish it up on June 6th. And as you turn there, we are living, and Peter has made it a point, to call us exiled believers, to say we're living in a place that is not our home. He has outlined how the false teachers have come in and undercut the return of Jesus and saying Jesus isn't really coming back, so you can do whatever you want. And Peter has said, no, that's, that's not really true. You can't do that. But that leaves us with the question. As believers, how should we live? How, how do we live between now and the time that Jesus comes back, or if he doesn't come back before we die, how do we live until the end of our lives or till he, re- he returns? And I don't know about you, but I, I, I'm, I'm a how-to person. You know, I, I like to know, hey, I want you to do Well, how do you want me to do it? I want to do it right. I want to do it the first time. How, how do you want it done? And that philosophy has invaded culture. Have you noticed how many how-to books are out there? I mean, there are so many how-to books. It's an entire category. Like, you can buy a book titled, How to Read a Book. Which, I'm going to be honest with you, i got a lot of questions. Because if you're buying a book on how to read a book, uh, maybe you've got other you know, <laughs> issues there, right? How to get things right. How to free yourself from a lifetime of clutter. I, I've, I've ordered that one. Uh, it should be here in a week. How to write a novel. How to read literature like a professor. Uh, my, my favorite which I realized after looking was not actually a um, satirical book. Adulting, how to become a grown-up in 468 easiest steps. I I, I really thought that was satirical, and it it, it was not, which, uh, again, more questions. You you know, I mean, it it sprung a whole thing, right? The Dummy's Guide, right? You've you've seen those, the bright yellow books, the Dummy's Guide too. fill in the blank, classical music, ancient literature, the Bible. There's one for the Bible. And then not to be outdone, they came up with the Idiot's Guide because in case you're not dumb, you're an idiot, right? And you can go by the Idiot's Guide to the Bible. I mean, all these ways of how to, how to, how to, how to. And while I am poking a little bit of fun this morning, I mean, we, we don't know everything, correct? I mean, let's just face that. If you're going to go put in a new light switch or a new outlet, you really need to know the difference between the black wire and the white wire. That's, that's an important piece of information. That if you've never done it before, how to install a new electrical outlet is a perfectly reasonable thing to, to Google and, and, and look up. So how do we live? How do we live between now and the time that Jesus comes back. 
Well, Peter answers that for us. He gives us some very specific things that we can do until then. And we find this in verse 11 down to verse 16. And you can see as we start reading in verse 11, he asked the question and then he asked it, or excuse me, he answers it. This is what he says. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of the Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So this morning, and I've kind of changed your, your outline just a little bit. This morning, what we're going to do is look at the topic of how we are to live under the banner. This is, this is the big banner. Believers are to pursue the kingdom of God. Okay, that, That's how we're just going to quantify all the other practical steps that Peter gives us this morning. And I use the word pursue deliberately. And the reason I use that is because I want us to understand this morning that the goal is not to arrive at a destination. Because what Peter is calling us to pursue, we really can't arrive at. Right? Have you, I hope you have noticed this in, in your walk and, and just living your life as a Christian. We don't cross the finish line. Right? Now, for some of us, that can be kind of frustrating. Right? We like to do something, and I, I speak from experience as well. I like to do something, and when it's done, it be completed, and there's something there tangible that I can see. It's, it's finished. In our Christian walk, it's not about the finish, it's about the pursuit. And so in that, there is a certain element where we don't ever really arrive and I say that because we need to understand that. And you need to be able to accept that. That here and now on this earth and on this life, the things that we're going to look at this morning, you're not going to arrive at. You're not going to hit a place in your life in just a minute when we look at pursuing godliness and holiness where you can go, oh, Gary preached that sermon on May 16th, 2021. And then maybe August 3rd of 2025, you can go back and put a check mark. Hey, I made it. There's no check marks for finishing what Peter has called us to pursue. But that's okay. Because we can run with endurance all the way to the finish line. So under the heading, believers are to pursue the kingdom of God, five specific, five specific ways to do that. Number one. Peter tells us we pursue godliness and holiness. Now, this is not unusual for Peter. He has combined these two terms before. This is the starting point. And what is really interesting that we don't really see as Peter wrote this is the word godliness and holiness is actually in the plural. So it's like we pursue godlinesses and holinesses. <laughs> 
And the reason I think Peter does that is because there's not only one way to do it. There is not one specific way that you pursue godliness. There is not one specific way that you pursue holiness. And as long as we get on the one road and go down that one road, then we're going to get there and we're going to pursue it. There's a multitude, of, a myriad of ways to pursue godliness and holiness. Now, I think immediately, what was the first thing that popped into your mind? I imagine it was one of these three things. Prayer, read your Bible, or go to church. And all three of those are correct. All three of those are good and necessary. It's the way we pursue God. It's the way you pursue holiness. The way you are able to understand who God is and pursue His holiness is to understand what He has given us in His Word. So reading the Bible is a good pursuit. Prayer to allow God to speak to you and to guide you is a good pursuit. Peter is pointing us beyond what we would call the religious things that we do. Nothing wrong with them. We do them for a reason, and they are important, and we're called to do them. What Peter is commanding us to do is to live our lives and pursue godliness and holiness beyond what we might call the religious things that we do. Peter's whole point is that we should not divide our lives into this is a religious part and this is the other part. Right? I, I don't think I've heard this term lately, but uh, several years ago, you kept hearing people talking about compartmentalization, you know, how they would compartmentalize their lives and you know, this part and this part and this part. And, and, and it was just like, all right, I'm here, but I can't be here and here. And so they just kind of move from compartment to compartment to compartment. That's not what Peter is saying. He's saying that in our lives, everything, everything should be brought under the control and the direction of God as a pursuit of godliness and holiness. Everything. There's, there's not an element of your life that you cannot take captive to godliness and holiness. Since Peter mentions Paul, I'll mention him as well. That's why Paul writes in Romans 12, 1. And look at what Peter does just quickly about this as he's talking about Paul. He says, Paul wrote according to the wisdom given him. So again, pointing to the divine inspiration of Scripture that Paul wasn't writing out of his own wisdom, but out of God's wisdom. He writes Romans 12, 1 that says what? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your bodies and your mind, everything, every part of you being conformed and placed under God's authority in the pursuit of godliness and holiness. And when you do that, think about what happens. You conform your entire life to look like God. God looks down at you, and what is God seeing then? He's really seeing a reflection of Himself. Because we are to pursue godliness and holiness as a reflection of the God who has called us out of darkness and saved us. So don't you think that's pleasing to God to look down and, 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 and see His characteristics reflected in our lives? But at the same time, it is also a mirror to the world. The world looks at us and sees us pursuing godliness and holiness and taking everything captive to those pursuits and sees God through our behaviors and actions. Wasn't that one of the questions that was asked in Sunday school this morning, Debbie? How, how, how do we reflect God into the world? 
you pursue godliness and holiness. Everything. Not just what we would call the religious things that we do. So we are to pursue godliness and holiness. Then in the second part of verse 12, or the first part of verse 12, Peter says we pursue the return of Jesus, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. And then he goes on and describes it again, right? We already looked at this last time where he describes the judgment that's coming and like a thief in the night and the heavens will burn up. He goes ahead and, and reminds us of what the day of God is going to look like. That The point being it's going to be a time of judgment as God comes and Jesus returns and judges those who have walked away from the faith, judges those who have denied the faith, judges the false teachers who have taught contrary to the faith. And so Peter says, by the way, as you wait and hasten the day of Jesus' return, let me just remind you, it is a time of judgment. Now, if you ask me, when you read those, the word wait and hasten seem to be conflicting words, right? Because waiting implies passivity, right? You're, You're waiting on something. You're at a restaurant. You're waiting on your food. What can you do? to make your food get out there faster. Well, absent, getting up, going back into the kitchen and cooking it yourself, in which case, why would you even bother to go out? There's nothing you can do. You're just passively waiting until the chef finishes, the expediter puts it up on the, the table, the waiter or waitress comes and gets it and puts it on your table. You're just waiting. There's nothing you can do. So Peter says, we wait for the return of Jesus. We're, we're, we're waiting. Okay? We can wait. I can sit here and do nothing. But then Peter says, and you hasten the time as well. Wait a minute. How do I passively wait, but then hasten means to actively do something, right? You ever want to see hastening? Come to my house Sunday morning about 8.55. There's a lot of hastening going on. Get your shoes on, get your coat, get your shoes, get your shoes, get your car, let's go, let's go, let's go. I'll show you what the def- biblical definition of hastening looks like. All right, but, but th- there's activity. To hasten something is, is, is being active. Come on, let's go. Come on, come on, come on, come on. So how do we passively wait and actively hasten? All right, well, I think we can do the waiting part, right? The waiting part doesn't really need any introduction or, or explanation. How do you wait? You just wait. We don't know when he's coming back. We just wait. So how do we hasten? That's a good question. It's also a good answer. Because we are told through Scripture how we do this. And just understand it's a mystery, all right? It's a mystery, that tension between wait and hasten. But one of the ways that we speed up the return, one of the ways that we hasten the return of Jesus is through prayer. Through prayer. Specifically, we can go back to the Lord's Prayer, right? Jesus starts to pray and he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. There is an aspect that when we pray for God's kingdom to come, that we are saying, Jesus, can you come back sooner? Can you get back here a little bit quicker? Our prayers are hastening his return. Revelation 20, 20, in in, in response, Jesus is speaking in response to... um, What Jesus said, John breaks down in prayer and and responds with, Come, Lord Jesus. That that hastens his return. So, Gary, you mean we're speeding up his return? 
Well, it says we're hastening his return. We, we pray for him to come back. That, that is one way that we do it. A second way that we do that is through missional evangelism. You go and you read Matthew 24, 14. It's Jesus is speaking, and, and you should know by now. We, through our study of Revelation and the study of Peter, I think I have referenced Matthew 24 more times than any other Bible verse or, or passage of Scripture in, in my sermons. You should know now that when I say Matthew 24, you should know now that Jesus is talking about the signs and the coming of the end of the age. So Jesus is talking about what's going to happen. Jesus, how, how can we bring about the end of the age? And Jesus says, hey, the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. There, there is an aspect of when we go out and preach the gospel, that there is a, a hastening of the return of Jesus because we want to get the gospel to all the nations because it, Jesus says that all the nations, all the ethnos, all the people groups will hear the gospel. Have you ever stopped and really considered why Southern Baptists are so missional? Have you ever wondered why we have the International Mission Board and the North American Mission Board? And why for 176 years we have been sending out missionaries around the world? Part of it is the mandate in Matthew 24, 14 with the idea if we can get the gospel out and preach the gospel more, Jesus will come back sooner. If you don't believe me, go look at Southern Baptist literature and, and I guess it's probably still the foreign, board, foreign missionary board just a couple years before the year 2000. There was a tremendous missionary and evangelistic zeal to get the gospel to all the nations, all the people groups before the year 2000. And part of it was so that Jesus would come back. Because we're told that is one of the ways that we hasten his return. So we hasten, we actively pray, Lord Jesus, come back. We actively participate in missional evangelism, proclaiming the gospel. And in doing so, we are hastening the return of Jesus. Number three, we pursue the promises. We pursue the promises. You look down again in verse 12. Or excuse me, verse 13, he says, But according to his promises, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So here we go again. Peter points back to the promises. He's coming back. He, he's, he, he's coming back. And against this backdrop of judgment, right, there's also the promise of salvation. Because when Peter started to talk about this the first time, and he's kind of repeating himself, remember he talked about how God rescued righteous Noah. How God rescued righteous Lot out of judgment. We are reminded that when he comes back, and yes, it's going to be destruction, and bodies are going to melt away, and the heavens will be burned up. But according to his promise, that's not, we're not going to be burned up with that because we're waiting for new heavens and a new earth because he redeems his righteousness out of the judgment, and we're going to be living in a place where Peter says where righteousness dwells. He's going to bring us to a new heavens and a new earth. And we pursue that. 
We, we pursue that as, as we cling to the promises. We pursue that, that every time somebody says, well, I, I don't really know about heaven. Well, we, we, no, there is a heaven. There's only one way to get there. We pursue that every time we think about and we remind somebody, no, God's going to protect you and, and bring you through the judgment and you're going to be placed in heaven where righteousness dwells. We pursue that every time we think, hey, yeah, there was a curse in Genesis 3, but when we get to Revelation 20, 21, 22, we see that the curse is reversed, and we look around and we see that in Revelation 20, sin is nowhere to be found. Creation, once again, will look like it did in the beginning, when God's people will rule over God's world. And so we pursue the, His promises as we never waver on the veracity of the promise that He has made. Nor do we waver on the timing of the fulfillment. Jesus will return right on time. It, it, his timing will be perfect. Even if we have to wait a little bit to see that. But we pursue the promises that He has laid out before us. Fourthly, we pursue purity. Verse 14, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. As you read those words, you're probably, and rightfully so, taken back immediately to the Old Testament, to the sacrificial system. In the sacrifice having to be without spot or blemish. Well, it wasn't just the sacrifice, also the priesthood. The ones that would make the sacrifice had to be without spot or blemish. And those, those two words are used so frequently together that they've become one idea. I don't know that, that Peter is pointing out two distinct ideas as much as it's just now a category without spot or without blemish. And this is the third time that Peter has used these words. He used it to describe the, the perfect death of, of Jesus. He says, both with the precious or but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He points us back to Jesus saying that Jesus was absolutely pure, didn't even have the faintest whiff of sin on him, which is why he was able to take our place on the cross to die for us that we might be saved. And so what Peter is, is calling us to do here is to live like Jesus. To live without sin in our lives. To live a life that is spotless, spotless and without blemishes. If you look in verse 13. Nope, I didn't. Let me see. Chapter, is it chapter 1, verse 13? Nope, I did not put the chapter. I just put verse 13, which doesn't help me at all. Peter calls the, ones, calls the false teachers, he calls them blemishes and spots. He says, they, oh, excuse me, it's chapter 2. It says, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes. So Peter is, is, is laying out for us an either-or situation. We can either be a spot or blemish as we follow the false teachers and engage in all the sinful activities that they are encouraging. Or we can be like Jesus and live a life of purity and be found without a spot or without blemish. 
So we are to pursue purity and take that in, in every aspect that it means. It's not just a sexual purity, although in today's day and age that is incredibly important. It's a purity of mind. It's a purity of thought. It's a purity of action. It is not acting like the world. It is acting like Jesus. All right, that, that, that old preacher saying that preachers would, would use to, to kind of make you feel guilty. Don't do anything you wouldn't be embarrassed to be doing when Jesus came back. Right? Don't be trying to swindle your neighbor when Jesus comes back. Don't be found in a place where Jesus wouldn't be found when Jesus comes back. Right? We, we pursue purity. The, the, the world, I, I don't know if you've noticed, is not a pure place. It, it's really not. It, it's almost like they know what Jesus requires and says, I'm going to go and do the exact opposite. You ever met somebody like that? I know this is what you want me to do, but I'm going to go over here and do exactly what you told me not to. The world is an immoral and impure place. And one of the ways that it is immoral and impure is, is with false doctrinal teachings, which is what, again, Peter is, is pushing us back to, to understand. Because if you don't understand doctrine, and we're going to get into this a little bit more next week, if you don't understand doctrine, if you don't know what God says, if you don't know what thus saith the Lord, if you don't know what... He has called you to live the life He has called you to live. If you don't know the fruit of the Spirit, if, if you don't know what He has forbidden you to do, and false teachers come and say, hey, you can go and you can eat, drink, and be merry and do whatever you want because He's not coming back, then you are being lured away from Him and you're going to be found with spots and blemishes. And Peter says, don't do that but pursue godliness and holiness so that when he comes back, you're found as much as possible because we cannot, okay, this is not perfection. This is not Christian perfectionism. We cannot attain that. But we can be found pursuing his kingdom, pursuing godliness, pursuing holiness, and be found without blot or blemish. But then finally, we pursue peace. It says, when Jesus comes back, be diligent to be found at peace. And there, there's a connection here between the peace and the purity. And the peace that Peter is talking about really isn't peace with the world. Now, you've heard me say, and we are commanded as believers to live at peace with the world. For as much as possible with you, live at peace with those around you. There is a commandment on us. Again, hey, this goes back into the, the, the blots, uh, spots and blemishes, right? says, as much as it is incumbent upon me, live at peace with those around you. So I have an obligation that God has put on me to live at peace with people. And so if I decide, hey, I don't want to, I want to live in a state of warfare and harassment with somebody, I, I, I'm now engaging in uh, sinful behavior. But that's not what Peter's talking about. Peter is talking about what? He's talking about peace with God. Be found when Jesus returns to be at peace with God. See, the false teachers are not. You want to know why they're not at, false, at peace with God? Because they're taking God's words and turning them and twisting them and teaching incorrectly. They are in open rebellion to them. 
So when Jesus returns, they're going to be condemned for their spots and their blemishes. They're going to be judged accordingly. But believers, we are called to be found in a different condition. We are called to be found at peace with God. We're called to be found in a relationship where we have peace with Him through Jesus Christ. And then, through our lives, we continue to do what He has called us to do so that we're not living in animosity towards Him. And these things, all these work together. Look at how Peter kind of ties this all in. Because what this is, it's a call to believers to live differently. At the same time, it's a call that Peter is issuing to people to enter into a new life. Because the Old Testament sacrificial system was given as a way to provide people to be at peace with God. It was given so that our sins, our spots, our blemishes, what made us enemies with God, could be taken away. The animal would be brought forward, and then symbolically, depending on the sacrifice, lay the hands on the animal. Kind of as a, a transference, my sins being transferred to the animal. Then the animal goes and is sacrificed on, on my behalf. And that process, until the next sacrifice needs to be made, brings a person into the relationship of peace with God. And that system was in effect until a much superior sacrifice was presented by Jesus Christ. Now here's why his is superior in two ways. One, he was superior because he wasn't an animal. He had perfect blood flowing in him. He, 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 could, he fulfilled every law of God. He didn't sin. He was found at the moment of his crucifixion and forevermore and ever before then to be perfect, pure, no spots, no blemishes, and he could die on the cross for our sins. But at the same time, Jesus was our priest as well, mediating our peace to God. It's like Jesus was a, a double whammy of our peace. He was our peace through his sacrifice, and he was a peace, giving us peace by being the priest to preside over it. And Peter is saying, look, you have so great of salvation in Jesus Christ because he came as the perfect Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world, to take away your sins. And at the same time, he came as the superior priest to accept the sacrifice so that you can have peace at God. Therefore, until Jesus returns, until your great priest and your great sacrifice, the one who redeemed you and saved you, returns, live your life in a way that you're pursuing holiness and godliness so that you will be found at peace with him. And if you're found at peace with him when he returns, you're going to be found at peace with him throughout all eternity. Peter says you need to pursue that. You need to pursue it. For us today, what that means is you don't need to live your life like you just topped in your car and you're going on a long trip and you're on Interstate 40 and you hit 65 miles an hour and you turn on the cruise control. The whole point of cruise control is, is to keep going at the same speed. You're just, you're just cruising. You're just relaxing. You're not doing anything. Right? Christian life is not to be lived on cruise control. 
A Christian's life is to be lived in the pursuit of the kingdom of God. And we keep running, and we keep running, and we keep going, and we keep going, and we keep pursuing. And we get a little bit of godliness and we pursue more. We, we, we are living at peace and we pursue a little bit more. We're, we're pursuing purity and we get some and we keep going. You keep going. Do not, as a believer in Jesus Christ, live your life on cruise control. And that's what Peter is calling us to do. To pursue the kingdom of God as we pursue godliness, as we pursue holiness, as we pursue the return of Jesus, as we pursue the promises, as we pursue purity, and as we pursue peace. So that when He comes back, we are found without blemish or without spot. You've been listening to the Gary Talks About God podcast. Are you looking for a church? Well, Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church is a community of believers who exist to glorify God and see transformed lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can find us on the web at www.redbankmbc.com. Also, come visit us on Sunday at 8104 Red Bank Road in Germantown, North Carolina. Did you like this podcast? We put one out each and every week, so don't forget to subscribe. We hope this has been a blessing to you, and we thank you for listening.